This is Tempest Tossed, Conversations on Migration and Mobility, and I'm Alex Alenikov. They had taken away the crayons and coloring books a, a couple of years ago, but they did have a blackboard and the children would sort of draw on the blackboard. And the one thing that they seemed to draw the most, they would be drawing sort of hearts. The Trump administration's separation of immigrant children from their parents sparked outrage and lawsuits across the country. Uh, the public outcry led the president to issue an executive order abandoning the separation policy, but not the zero-tolerance policy that gave rise to it. Lawsuits led courts to order the government to reunite the families, yet today more than 500 children remain in detention, separated from their parents. And the Trump administration has stated that the parents of more than 400 of these children are no longer in the United States. That is, they have been deported without their kids. As disturbing as the separation policy has been, as damaging as it has been to young children, and as hurtful as it has been to their parents, reunification of families does not end the story. Because many of the parents of the children are deportable from the United States, families face wrenching decisions about whether to take their children home to leave them here without the parents, or to stay with them in detention and continue to fight their asylum cases. Let me briefly review the immigration process here and what brought us to the current state of affairs. Families that sought to enter the United States were arrested by Border Patrol agents. The parents were held for criminal prosecution, and their children were quickly taken from them and put into detention in many different places around the United States. After being found guilty of the crime of illegal entry, the parents were then held for deportation from the United States in ICE detention facilities. Then a court ordered unification of the family, saying that the separation policy violated the constitutional rights of the family members. More than 2,000 children have now been reunited with their parents, but many reunited families have been placed in ICE detention facilities. Parents can seek to prevent their deportation by filing an asylum claim, but under a recent decision by Attorney General Jeff Sessions, most of these cases will be difficult to win. Our guest today is Professor Lauren Gilbert, a professor of law at the St. Thomas University School of Law. Professor Gilbert traveled with 12 of her students uh, to the Carnes County Residential Center in Carnes, Texas, uh, where immigrant families uh, are currently being uh, detained. Uh, she worked there with RICES, which is a uh, nonprofit legal organization that uh, remains on the front, line, front lines of these issues, uh, working with uh, immigrants and their families. Lauren, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, can you set the stage for us? Uh, where is the Carnes County Residential Center? And when you got there, what did you find? Okay, the Carnes County Residential Center is about one hour southeast of uh, San Antonio, and it is in Carnes uh, City, which is a very sort of rural community of about 3,500 um, individuals. Uh, and uh, up until very recently, it, it had uh, held uh, women and children uh, asylum seekers. But when I arrived with my team of 14 students, of t actually 12 students, uh, we found 
uh, that at this point the uh, center is being used to detain uh, the recently reunified uh, fathers and uh, sons who uh, had uh, who had been separated upon their arrival at the at the border uh, over the last um, couple of months since Jeff Sessions announced his zero tolerance policy. Uh, can you tell us uh, a bit about what the conditions were like at Carnes? Uh, how many people were there uh, and, and how did they live? So the week before we arrived, uh, the fathers and sons had really just started to trickle in. These were the fathers and sons who had just been reunified. Uh, by about midweek before we arrived, we arrived on, on Sunday was our first day, there were around 300 uh, fathers and sons who had uh, had arrived. Uh, by the end of the week, that number was growing. Uh, Carnes has a capacity for about 830 beds. I don't think it was up to capacity at that point. But when we were there, basically all of the people who were there, 100% of the families that we saw when we arrived were the reunified uh, fathers and sons. So it was probably somewhere uh, around uh, 400, 500 people who were there. And they were being permitted to, to live in the same quarters? Yes, they were in the same quarters. They have these rooms that uh, basically have bunk beds, and generally there are two families per room. Uh, they were together. They would separate the children during the day to go to classes. They had one classroom that basically served all of the kids from like five to 17. Okay, so you've got about three to 500 um, immigrants uh, at Carnes. These are recently reunited uh, fathers uh, and sons. Uh, and what are they waiting for there? What's the next step in the process? Okay, so when we got there, it was pretty much right after the families had been reunified. And at that point, there was a lawsuit uh, that was pending. And we had heard that the, the the judge had issued had issued an order that basically prevented the government from deporting people back to their countries. But there was a rumor that the judge was going to lift that order, which would allow the government to go forward with its plan of deporting people. So the first day we saw over uh, over two hundred fathers and sons, who were interested in fighting their cases because many of these fathers and sons had were already, many of the fathers were already at the end of the road and had decided that they wanted to, to go back. And so part of what we were doing was talking to them and talking about what options they had to be able to stay and fight their cases. And so that first day we basically uh, talked to them and uh, filled out hundreds of these forms uh, for dads who said that they wanted to stay and fight their asylum cases. Okay, so let, let's see if we understand. So these were uh, fathers who had been separated, had been criminally prosecuted uh, uh, for illegal entry. They were now back in ICE custody and deportable for the country, from the United States. But some of them, or many of them, would still be able to assert an asylum claim saying they feared persecution if returned to their country of origin. Is that right? That's correct. So they had, when they had attempted to come into the country, uh, if they had, uh, usually if they had entered uh, illegally, they were separated from their children almost immediately. 
they oftentimes had no chance to say goodbye uh, or a couple of minutes to say goodbye. They were then criminally prosecuted for illegal entry. And then after they uh, were encouraged to, by their public defenders, to plead guilty because it would be the fastest way that they could reunify with their kids, they were then uh, moved to ICE detention facilities. They were still separated from their children at that point. And they uh, had to make these awful choices. Uh, you know, the government at first was telling them that they had two choices. They could either stay and fight their cases, in which case they would continue to be separated from their children, or they could agree to be deported, in which event they would be reunified with their children. And so faced with that choice, a lot of the fathers basically agreed to, uh, to deportation so that they could see their kids again. But you're saying at Carnes, they had an opportunity then to, to bring back their asylum claim and, and, and try to fight deportation on that ground? Well, that's what we were trying to do. So for dads who had basically given up, who had either decided not to fight their cases or dads who had tried to fight their cases uh, and had had to have these interviews while they were separated and were completely traumatized, uh, that what we did with them was we met with them, we explained what their options were. So fathers who had never had that initial interview, we were able to get them to fill out a form saying they were afraid to go back to their country and they wanted to fight their case. But then there were other cases where they had wanted to fight their case, but they had lost their interview. And we saw lots of cases where the dads were just traumatized during their interview. They talked about uh, their, you know, all they could think about was their children. They uh, were generally in a room with an asylum officer uh, and the interpreter was on the phone and the interpreter was telling them to stop when they would start uh, basically expressing what had happened to them and they would lose their train of thought. Uh, and so in a lot of cases, their interviews did not go well um, because of what they were experiencing uh, as being separated from their kids. So in those cases, what, you know, what we were trying to do was to get them a chance at a new interview or to get them back before an immigration judge. So those are really the harder, those are the harder cases. And when you talk to um, some of the children uh, with their parents and some uh, alone, what, what, what condition did you find these children in? Well, we saw kids from as little as five to as old as 17, and the little ones were, you know, in, in most cases were sort of manic I, I, is the only way I can describe it. They would, uh, oftentimes they would refuse to leave their father's side. We would try to get the kids to go over to the area to play so that we could talk to their dads about uh, you know, the experiences back in their home country, they would cry. Um, it was hard to get them to talk at all. Um, a lot of them just were, it was just very, you know, they would, one minute they would be happy and smiling and reading a book. And the next minute they would be sort of acting, you know, becoming violent and hitting other children. And uh, it was clear that they had uh, that they had really suffered during their time in um, in separation. So the little kids, but the, you know, the little kids were, um, you know, were sort of refusing to li leave their father's sides. Uh, and it was really traumatic when they tried to take them away to take them to school because they didn't, they were afraid that they were being separated again. 
Uh, and then the older kids, it was it varied. I mean, in some cases, they were clearly really happy to be back with their fathers. But in other cases, they, they seemed to be sort of angry with their fathers. And their fathers were asking, uh, you know, were constantly asking them to forgive them for what had happened. Um, there was a huge amount of guilt that the fathers had experienced. Uh, but, the you know, we were essentially meeting with them at the point where they were just getting to know each other again. And a lot of the fathers talked about how the kids that they had, the little kids that they had been separated from were very different than the children with whom they'd been reunited, that they, um, that they were crying, that they were needy, that they were angry, that they were acting out, um, that these weren't the same kids that they had last seen. Uh, I mean, there's one case where one of my students was uh, reading to one of the little children and had a, and there was a book about a uh, where there was a hen and some chicks and then there was an eagle that was sort of above and the hen was had its wing around the chick and the little kid looked at the picture and said that um, that hen is my daddy and that's and and the chick is me and so uh, the children really saw their fathers as as their um, as their protectors, they had taken away the crayons and reading and coloring books a, a couple of years ago, but they did have a blackboard and the children would sort of draw on the blackboard. And the one thing that they seemed to draw the most, they would be drawing sort of hearts on the on the blackboard. Okay, now um, as I understand it, sometimes the desires and interests of the children were not exactly the same as the desires and the interests of the fathers. Can, can you describe where, where, where those interests may have de- uh, differed? Sure. I think the you know, hardest thing we had to do while we was, were there was to determine whether there was a conflict between what the father wanted, particularly in cases where the father had just decided that he no longer wanted to his, fight his case and he just wanted to go home, uh, and whether uh, that interest was uh, was consistent with what was in the best interest of the children. So one of the things they asked us to do was to meet with a number of the uh, the children to determine what they wanted to do, whether they wanted to stay with their fathers who had asked to be deported or whether they wanted to stay in this country. And so we talked to kids from age five to age 17, and it was kind of ridiculous to ask a five-year-old what he wanted to do and whether he wanted to be with his father. Um, and some of these kids were barely verbal. I mean, it was hard to even get them to tell you their name or how old they were. Uh, but I think what we saw was that you know most of the children that we saw clearly wanted to be with their fathers. But it wasn't always clear if that was necessarily in the best interest of the children. I mean, some of the children looked well adjusted and happy to be reunited. But, you know, other kids you could tell had really suffered during their time in in separation and had this sort of kind of look of neglect in their eyes. So it was but it was hard. We couldn't make that kind of determination on our own. Um, but then you, with the older kids, it was different because I think with the older kids, once you get into the 15, 16, 17-year-old range, uh, their interests do diverge. And there was um, there were a couple of different cases. There was one case where the father did want to go back and he wanted the son to go with him, but where the son wanted to stay in the United States. Um, and he told us that. 
And But he was really concerned because he knew that if he decided to stay and fight his case, which he could as an unaccompanied minor, that his dad would likely be sent to one of these horrible detention centers. So I'm hearing three options here then. Uh, the, the father can say he wants to go back and wants his child with him and the child may agree, in which case ICE will deport both. The father may decide to go back, but the child might say, I prefer to stay in the United States, uh, and the father will be deported, but the child will probably be released uh, from detention with some other kind of sponsorship uh, in the United States. And the third is that the father could fight deportation by um, by uh, filing his asylum claim, in which case he would probably remain at Carnes with his child or in some other family detention situation. Are those the three options? Uh, I think the first two options are right. The third option is a little bit more complicated um, because, but basically it means that if dad wants to fight his case, then he would have to stay in detention with his child while he continues to do so. But it doesn't necessarily mean that he gets uh, he gets an asylum case before an immigration judge, because in many cases, uh, a lot of these dads already have uh, have been ordered, have final orders where they've been ordered, deported, and now they're trying to basically get those cases reopened so that they can keep fighting their cases. And that's really hard. You said earlier that many of these fathers, upon being criminally convicted and separated from their kids, were quite traumatized and therefore either didn't request asylum or or had a cursory kind of hearing where they really were not able uh, to present their case. They're now facing orders of, of removal from the United States. Um, are Now that uh, they've been at Carnes and spoken with lawyers, are there more Uh, fathers who were willing to try to stay in the country and continue uh, uh, their quest uh, for asylum? That seems to be what's happening, that some of the fathers who got new interviews and passed those interviews are being let out on with ankle monitors. They're being released from detention. And as fathers see that beginning to happen, more and more fathers are willing to, uh, to stay and uh, and fight their cases. And, you know, part of that's been possible because uh, at this point, everything is on hold and no one is being deported, but at any moment that could change. So, uh, so in a lot of those cases, it's really, I mean, sort of slowing the process down to give fathers and sons a chance to, to reconnect because in a lot of cases, those bonds have been broken and that we're finding that with time uh, the time heals all wounds and that dads uh, and kids are willing to kind of stick it out together. But it means that if they decide to do that, then the child's going to remain in detention while that process takes place. And of course, there's no guarantee they'll be granted uh, asylum or some other form of relief. And in fact, Attorney General Sessions has issued uh, new guidance in asylum cases recently that makes it much harder for many of these cases to succeed. He says that most people uh, whose uh, cases are based on claims that they'd be persecuted by gangs, uh, which are what many of the cases are are based on, uh, will have a very hard time succeeding in the U.S. asylum system. Is that right? 
Yes, I mean, that's what's happening. I mean, there are lots of lawsuits that are challenging that, but uh, but Jeff Sessions' um, decision in that one case, and then the guidelines that were recently issued by the asylum unit pretty much tell asylum officers that if it's a gang-based claim or a gender-based asylum claim, that it uh, that it should generally not qualify for asylum. So a lot of people are not even getting through that initial stage of the process because of the Sessions decision and because of the asylum office guidelines. As you saw the, the dads and the kids and the, and the possible claims the dads could raise for staying in the country, did it seem that uh, some of them had claims that would have been recognized uh, before the Sessions decision came out, but now were in peril of being recognized? Absolutely. Uh, there were a number of claims that we saw that uh, were essentially they had been told that they didn't have a case by the government. But the more we talked with them, they were definitely cases that uh, that should have would have made it through the credible fear process prior to the uh, decision in uh the, the Jeff Sessions um, decision. Uh, and in fact, there were several cases where uh, Raices ended up uh, doing a request for a new interview with the asylum office and uh, where they said that in in the two of those cases were, were pretty strong and should have made it through the credible fear process. And the fourth case was extremely strong. And in all four of those cases, the decision came back no from the, uh, from the local uh, asylum office. So if we can put this all together, we have a situation where uh, the fathers and the kids entered the country. The father was arrested and criminally prosecuted. Uh, and ordered deported, and even if he had an asylum claim that might have gained him legal residence in the United States um, several months ago, and now with the new Sessions order, it's unlikely to succeed. So these these dads are really likely to be out of uh, avenues for staying uh, in the United States, and that's what makes so acute this question of what uh, happens uh, with the child. Is that a fair summary of, of what you said? I think that that's a fair summary. There were definitely cases where we saw where dad had what we would consider to be a very viable asylum claim that was connected to gang violence, but where there was a good argument that, uh, that he would qualify under the asylum definition but where he was you know desperate to return to the rest of his family and where but he also wanted what was best for his son as well and so those were cases where uh dads were essentially being faced with this choice of letting their child stay uh and going back so that their child would be able to get out of detention and we saw that with kids as um as old as 17 and as young as 5 uh where the father had clearly fled the country because the father was afraid of what would happen to the child so the yes there definitely were cases where the child would have uh, a viable asylum claim under existing precedent but where um but where the father would not 
Well, really, you're painting a, a really um, a difficult picture for these families, uh, which uh, many people thought the problem had been solved with a court order uh, ordering the families to be uh, reunified. But it seems it has just put them in the midst of a set of very difficult choices. I think that's true. And I think part of the problem is, is that you have the court order that ordered family reunification, um, but that the order was so narrowly defined that it didn't deal with what would happen once reunification occurred. Uh, and so there are, are all of these other lawsuits that are going on around uh, the country, in, in New York, uh, where the Legal Aid Society is trying to protect the rights of the children as um, unaccompanied uh, children. Uh, in D.C., where they are trying to protect the rights of the parents and kids so that the kids can stay and fight their cases and the dads and moms can stay with the kids while they fight their cases, since their cases really turn on what happened to, um, to the parents. Uh, and right now, sort of all of these cases are, uh, are being, it, it seems like all these cases are being transferred to the judge who has the case um, ordering family reunification to try to sort all of this out. But unless that can be done, unless they can come up with a remedy or a plan that, uh, that would allow parents to stay and fight their cases, or at least to stay and help their kids fight their cases, that we may end up in a situation where uh, where the parents have to give up and go back to their country uh, so that their child can stay, or uh, or alternatively take their kids back to them to situations where the kids will face uh, horrific conditions. Lauren, uh, thanks so much for being with us today. And I imagine this was quite an experience for the students you took down to Carnes uh, to see this as well. And uh, thanks for telling us about the, the, the excellent work that RICES is doing uh, at Carnes to try to figure out these really terrifically difficult questions. Thanks so much. After we recorded the conversation with Professor Gilbert, a federal court issued an order temporarily barring the government from deporting reunited families. This order covers the families at Carnes. The court will hear full arguments soon on whether the parents and their children should now be given an opportunity to pursue their claims for asylum. Stay tuned. You have been listening to Tempest Tossed, a production of the Zolberg Institute on Migration and Mobility at the New School. Technical assistance is provided by Sahil Ansari at Dodge 112. Our themes were composed by Eli Elenikoff. We would welcome your comments and suggestions for future episodes. You can reach us at tossedtempest at gmail.com. That is tossedtempest, all one word, at gmail.com.